There are some questions we need to answer uh, when it comes to God speaking. When God speaks directly to a person, should we expect the person to always recognize that God is actually speaking to them? When God speaks, does God always give the meaning or the interpretation of that message immediately? Can a person hear a personal message from God and still make the wrong conclusions about the meaning or the right action to take? Should we expect God to ever lead us through our suspicions, through our emotions and our desires? And can these things play a role in how God sovereignly leads us by His Spirit? These are the kinds of things we'll be unpacking today as we learn how to hear and recognize the voice of God in our lives. When God speaks to us, this is part three of Hearing God. We're doing a series. If you haven't watched the last two episodes, go watch those. You don't have to in order to understand what we're talking about today. These are somewhat standalone messages, but in the last episode particularly, um, I did answer some questions that I think are going to relate to today. You know, we answered this question, when God speaks, um, does it always carry the same purpose, the same point to it? And the answer is no. Um, We answered, can God's personal messages be for the individual as well as for others at times? When God speaks to a person, is it always for someone else or is it sometimes just for their own edification? The answer is, yeah, God's messages can be for the individual themselves as well as for congregations or communities or nations. We talked about when God speaks directly to someone apart from Scripture, I'm talking apart from the written word, not in contradiction to the written word, but apart from the written word, when God speaks in that capacity and he speaks to a person without a mediator, does that mean they're a prophet? Does that necessitate that they have the gift of prophecy? And does this mean that we have an open canon of Scripture? And the answer to all of those is no. That doesn't mean they're a prophet. That doesn't mean they have the gift of prophecy. That doesn't mean we have an open canon. It means that God is speaking to his people how he wants and when he wants. And then the last question we answered in in the episode two was, hey, now that the New Testament is complete, uh, does that guarantee that prophecy is no longer necessary and that prophets are no longer required? They're just extra. That would be, you know, uh, no longer useful. And the answer is no, the prophets and prophecy and all the gifts, frankly, by the Spirit are, are necessary and useful. And so to be clear, when it comes to hearing God's voice, there is a there is um, order to this thing. First, we need to know God's voice. Uh, John chapter 10 talks about this. We need to, we're going to hear God's voice throughout our lives. Then we'll learn how to recognize God's voice, but you won't recognize his voice unless you first become familiar with his voice in his words, spending time in the scriptures. Um, And then you'll discern when God is speaking, then you'll discern what he's saying, and you'll be receptive to what it is he wants you to do, and you'll act on what he says. This is what it means to Shema, to listen with the intent to act and obey. And so it's not just hearing God's voice, but actually intending to act on and obey what God is telling you to do. Now today, there are some misconceptions we need to dismantle. There are some lies you've possibly come to believe that I believe are restricting you from actually effectively walking in the fullness of God's calling for your life. And that might sound like quite the claim, but usually when people say, I want to learn how to hear the voice of God, I want to learn how to recognize God's voice and discern his voice, what they're saying is, uh, I want to know how to know when God is speaking. I want to know when it's God and when it's just a voice, my own voice in my own head. And part of learning to recognize when God is indeed speaking means that you believe the right things about how God speaks to us today. So if I have come to believe lies and misconceptions about the way God communicates or how God communicates or when God communicates, and I put unnecessary, unbiblical restrictions on God and box him in according to misconceptions that I've come to believe, 
then that already sets me back one step when it comes to hearing God's voice. And I'm not set up for failure entirely, but I am set back one step. And in order to learn how to recognize God's voice and learn to know when he's speaking versus when it's a voice in my own head, and is it just me? Is it the tacos? Is it God? Part of that involves I need to make sure that I believe right things and have right theology about how God interacts with us today, even with a completed New Testament. And this means we have to dismantle lies and misconceptions we might have unknowingly come to latch on to throughout our Christian faith. Okay, so there are several things we're going to tackle today, and I want to give them to you up front so you have a reason to stick around. The first thing we're going to answer, question rather, is, hey, when God speaks, and this is also, I'm going to primarily tackle prophets, because if we can assess how God, you know, um, interacts with prophets, and specifically those who are gifted in the prophetic office, um, then this will give us clarity today, um, because the office of prophet, and I believe gift of prophecy still continues even with the New Testament, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, tackle the highest bar that I can, which is, hey, if, if God's going to speak to us in any capacity, um, we should we should look at the Old Testament, we should look at the New Testament to see how God relates specifically to prophets, not to say that we're all prophets, not to say it's going to be a perfect parallel, and God is always going to relate to us the way he relates to prophets, but there are questions we need to answer specifically as it relates to prophets and how God speaks to them. Like when God speaks, is there always 100% assurance that it's God on the part of the prophet? Meaning when a prophet is hearing the voice of God, do they always immediately know that it's God speaking to them? Is it immediate recognition and discernment? Another thing we're going to answer is, does God always give the meaning or the purpose of a prophetic word, a vision, or dream? And does a prophet always understand the full scope of what they're even saying? Um, and if not, does God sometimes give the prophetic word, vision, dream uh, in pieces or at times just the, the word to someone and the interpretation to another? <clears throat> and if that's the case, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be as clear as possible when we get to the scriptures here. There's a lot of scripture we might be here for a couple hours. There's a lot of passages we need to tackle because I don't just want to isolate a couple occurrences and go, hey, here, here's a point that we're making. Let me validate what I believe with a couple scriptures. I want to give you as much biblical support and evidence for what it is that I'm convinced is true. Um, not just me, but I'm convinced scripture is teaching us these things. Um, you know, when God always speaks things like this, um, does the fact that God is speaking to a person uh, directly, does that guarantee they'll have perfect reception and understanding? Or can a prophet hear or see the right thing and conclude the wrong thing? Can a prophet hear from God, know what he says, and then make a wrong conclusion about that word? In other words, can human fallibility, does God sovereignly allow for human fallibility to be a part of the way in which he engages humanity, especially prophets? Because there's, there's for some reason, in, in Christianity, we have elevated, at least in cessationism particularly, if you don't know what that is, it doesn't matter, we have, we've so elevated the role of prophets that I believe we've actually come to believe in unrealistic things, unrealistic things about prophets. We've put them on a pretty high pedestal because we have some misconceptions about how they relate to God and God relates to them and how they deliver the word of the Lord. And at times we can speak about prophets as if they don't make mistakes, as if when God picks a prophet, there's no way their human fallibility will get in the way and God will make sure his word gets 
to them. And, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing the sovereignty or the power of the word of God, but I am saying God has chosen to partner with humanity, our human fallibility, and even the human fallibility on the part of prophets. God has sovereignly worked that into his grand plan of not just how he speaks to a prophet and not just how he speaks through a prophet, but how he brings about redemption to the whole world, which involves him working with and through prophets. And what I'm saying is if, if there are these things that are true about prophets and then we put prophets on these really high pedestals and we go, well, I guess mistakes possibly in scripture are allowed for prophets then we can conclude that when God speaks to us and we're not prophets, and if we don't have the gift of prophecy, that I believe it's even more likely that those, um, not mistakes, but those, I don't know, that fallibility is a reasonable thing to expect on the part of us if it's allowed on the part of prophets. Okay, and maybe that logic is flawed in some way, and I'm going to get some mean emails, but I don't care. <laughs> I just, I want you to think rightly about God and how he speaks and how he interacts with people, and specifically, we're going to look at prophets, okay? There's a lot of misconception you might not have recognized, especially that's the point of it being a misconception, is you don't believe it's wrong, that you might not, uh, there's, there's just a lot here. You know, things like this, can can even prophets get it wrong sometimes? Not just in their conclusion about a word from God or the meaning of the word, but actually thinking God's speaking when he doesn't. It's a good question, right? Um, you know, does God allow for that sovereignly? Um, does God ever lead through our senses, our suspicions, our feelings and emotions, our sensitivities, our thoughts and desires? Not to say those are primary, not to say those are ultimate, not to say that's the compass of my life, but does God ever sovereignly orchestrate those things into the way he relates with us and works through us? Does God ever use these things to speak to us and guide us by his spirit? And then the last thing we'll tackle is, hey, does a prophet, and I, I know we're, I'm, 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 I'm specifically focusing on prophets here, but this relates to how and, and when and, and if God will speak to us in these capacities. Not to say we're prophets, not to say we have the gift of prophecy. You might be. You might have that gift. That's fine. Um, but I, what I'm saying is, if God speaks in these ways to prophets, which we put them on a pedestal and, and we go, wow, they're less likely to make error. There's less of a chance they'll mess it up. And if they do mess it up, then why would we think God's speaking to us New Testament believers filled with the Spirit who are not prophets, that, ex that mistakes and errors are not allowed if God is indeed speaking? Not on the part of God, but on our part when it comes to receiving and making sense of what he's saying. You know, does a prophet have prophecy on command? When, if, like Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets, any prophet of the Lord, do they actually decide when to prophesy? Can they manipulate that gift? Do they have it on command um, as if they're, you know, God's at their mercy to speak when they decide? Or, you know, do we decide when God speaks outside of his written word or does God actually decide? I think you already know the answer to that. So let's go to the first question. <clears throat> and, and again, I think with each of these lies, misconceptions rather, that we've come to believe, you might believe, I hope to bring clear application to what it means for us. Because again, this is not a one-for-one -one parallel. This is not a one-for-one -one parallel. If it's a prophet, then us. We're not prophets. You might be. We don't have the gift of prophecy. You might, but not all of us. Uh, it, but that doesn't mean God won't speak to us in these ways. And that doesn't mean that what is true of how he speaks to a prophet is not true of me. But I want to be clear it's not a one-for-one -one parallel perfectly for, for us to prophets. So when God speaks, 
is there always 100% assurance on the part of the prophet that they know God is speaking? 1 Samuel 3 is a good place to go. Now you go, well, Samuel is officially not called to be a prophet yet. This is the way in which God calls him to be a prophet. The point still stands. 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel's a boy serving in the presence of Eli. He's Hannah's son. He's been dedicated to the Lord to tend to the things of, uh, you know, the priestly duties. And the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was actually rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And I want to make that very clear up front that this chapter is opening up, or at least the section of the scroll is opening up with letting us know, hey, it wasn't common for God to actually speak in visions or in clear, direct words in these days particularly. Now, is that because God has sovereignly decided uh, that, hey, for no, well, reasons only God knows, God has decided just in this season of human history, I'm not going to speak to humanity through visions or direct words anymore. Or is it actually God responding to the rebellion and the wickedness and the continual evil and unbelief of the people of Israel? Is that potentially why? And if you read the narrative of the judges and how Israel continues to rebel and continues to sin and continues to not believe, I think you'll be able to answer the question that it seems as though there's no frequent vision or or word from God because it's... um, it's God responding to the error of humanity. Israel it has decided they don't want God, so God retracts. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, um, that there's a famine, uh, not physically from food, but a, but a famine of the word of the Lord. And we'll see this periodically throughout Israel's history. It, it's as if God retracts, not that he's no longer involved, not that he's orchestrating things, but he's not as personally interactive and giving clear words. We see this with Saul when he's the king. Saul's looking for words. So I'm just saying here at this point in human history, I don't think this is uh, that God arbitrarily decided to not speak anymore, but he's retracting his word because Israel has time and time again rejected, rebelled, and chosen not to believe. Okay, so here we go. There was no frequent vision. Enter Eli and Samuel. At that time, Eli, who's the high priest, yeah, his eyesight had begun to grow dim, so he could no longer see. Uh, he could not see. He was lying down in his own place. Eli's asleep. It's nighttime. Samuel's sleeping. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. And you have to understand, they would tend to, the priests would tend to the menorah, the lamps, keep the lights going. <coughs> and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Another important detail is that the presence of God is in this place geographically. This is a physical hotspot of God's presence because the ark of God was there. Okay, so you'd expect heightened spiritual activity, heightened interaction with God, heightened, and yet up to this point, before Samuel, you don't have that. The word of God is infrequent. Visions aren't, aren't common. God interacting directly and personally to his people is not a very common thing at this point in their, in their history. Again, I believe that's to the fault of Israel and not God. He doesn't make errors. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli. He ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called Samuel again. Now, if you want to make Samuel's call and initiation normative, you'd be wrong in doing so. If, you're, if you would say, because people will go, well, Samuel here is not yet a prophet, so this is, a, this is you know, um, uh, how God specifically calls prophets 
is that they don't know his voice first, and then bam, as they grow. I, I think if you read about Amos, Amos, I believe, was the farmer who God called, and and uh, other prophets who are just like kind of out there doing their thing, and God invades their life and invades their reality, and boom, they're like, God's calling me, God's speaking to me. They recognize God, but in this case, Samuel does not. And you can chalk it up to physical immaturity and go, well, he's just a boy. We don't know how old he is, but he is called a boy. Is that because he hasn't reached mature manhood? Possibly. He's a younger fella. And yet God calls him, even though he knows Samuel will not recognize his voice. I want you to think about that. Because if you just go, well, Samuel's not a prophet yet, so that's why. God is still speaking, even though he knows Samuel will not recognize his voice. Isn't that fascinating? And Samuel rose, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. So he thinks Eli's calling him because he's used to Eli, you know, calling him to do stuff, you know. But he said, I, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down again. Now, this is very important. Verse 7. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. This is why I say, and I don't just take it from this passage, But holistically, when you look at scripture, this is why I say, if you want to discern God's voice and recognize when he's speaking and know when it's your own, your own voice in your head versus God speaking, if you want to hear his voice, that starts with putting energy and effort into relationship with God to know his heart, to know his character, to know his word and to know his ways. Then you'll recognize his voice when he is indeed calling to you. And I use my wife as a, as an example, because I can pick out my wife's voice from any crowd. I know her. I've spent time with her. I've been married to her for seven years. I know her very well. And before that, we dated and we were engaged. And so I've spent time with her. We've gone on dates. We've laughed. We've watched shows. We've cried. We've been very vulnerable. I know my wife's not just voice, but her heart and her character and her ways and who she is as a person, which allows me to recognize her voice easier. And you might not think the two are connected, but I think it's especially true when we know God and we know his heart and we know his word and his ways, we're more likely to pick out his voice from a crowd and go, that's my father, because I've invested time into my relationship with him to know that's him speaking. I've spent enough time in his presence to be familiar with how he speaks and when he speaks, and that's him, that's him. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Two things to know is that, number one, Samuel does not yet know the Lord, which you might say is to know that God is speaking to him. And number two, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And you can go, well, that means God has not yet spoken to Samuel prior to this. I think besides that, it's that God speaking to him right now is something that is actually happening, but that has not yet been revealed to Samuel personally. This is the parable of the sower. You can be standing in front of Jesus, you can be hearing his voice, you can be hearing his teachings, and it can be flying right past you. If your heart is not positioned to receive and understand and seek for understanding, you're not going to get it. So I think the spiritual enlightenment of the heart here and the understanding of the heart here is what's in mind when it says the word of the Lord has not yet, had not yet been revealed to him. Meaning he doesn't know the voice of God and he doesn't know God is speaking and what God is speaking to him has not yet been revealed. There seems to be, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Um, growth that we're going to see in Samuel and his prophetic office. There's growth and development that comes with his prophetic office. He grows in his ability to recognize God's voice. He develops that ability to actually know when God is speaking. And we can see this throughout scripture. That's why there seems to be a school for prophets. But nonetheless, the Lord called Samuel again, the third time, right? So twice God has called to him. Now you might go, that seems like a waste of breath, doesn't it? God doesn't waste his time. God doesn't waste his breath. He's not wasting his breath or his time here. In fact, we go, if God knows someone's not going to recognize or know his voice, why speak at all? <laughs> why? This is where we go, why preach the gospel at all? Which you and I would go, that's a silly conclusion to come to. Exactly. So God's word is not returning void here. Just the first two scenarios, Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord. But I believe once he does, the third time, and he sits and goes, I'm listening, Lord. Those two um, missed opportunities on Samuel's part, I believe God will redeem. I, I believe this happens all throughout scripture and all throughout our lives, is that God redeems what we believe is wasted opportunity and time. But the Lord calls Samuel. So I want you to see that God is speaking even though, twice, even though he knows Samuel won't recognize his voice and know that it's him speaking. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Fascinating? fascinating. The Lord called Samuel again the third time and he arose and went to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy. Now, I don't know if we're supposed to read this into the text, but Eli doesn't seem to be a fantastic fellow, especially his two sons, wicked individuals. And Eli is actually somewhat condemned for not dealing with them properly and letting their sin persist in the temple or the tabernacle at the time. So Eli, I believe we're supposed to see this based on what we're going to know about Eli later, that we're supposed to see it's a, it's a tragedy that Eli didn't recognize God was speaking to Samuel. It's a tragedy not on Samuel's part because he's a young boy. What do you expect? But for Eli to be the high priest for so long and to be servicing God for so long and to be serving on behalf of Israel for so long and not know when God is speaking to an individual... That's a tragedy. To have such proximity to God, to have such a, such a high calling and a high role and an esteemable, honorable position in Israel and not know until the third time that, oh my gosh, Samuel, God's calling you. I think we're supposed to see this based on what we're going to know about Eli later in the narrative, that this is almost a fault to Eli for not knowing God himself and knowing the voice of God himself as the high priest. If there's anyone you'd expect in Israel to know when God is speaking and to know the voice of God, it would be the high priest. Just as Samuel took three times, it took Eli three times. Now, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went down and lay in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. This time, Samuel was told by Eli that it's God speaking so Samuel could properly respond because now he has the information required to know who's speaking to him. And Samuel said, speak, your servant hears. Then the Lord tells Samuel what's about to happen, what he's about to do to Eli in his house, which by the way, not a good thing. It's judgment. <clears throat> Eli eventually asks Samuel, what did he tell you? What did he tell you? Samuel, 
Don't hide it from me, Samuel. Look at me, Samuel. I know you're. Look at me, buddy. What did God say to you? And Samuel's going to spill the beans. God's going to take away your house, Eli. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. All of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? That God decides to reveal himself to Samuel, how, in what capacity? Through the word of the Lord, through what he speaks, through how he speaks, through standing in his midst and talking to Samuel. Samuel did not perceive it until the third time. He didn't recognize it. So we can take Samuel as an isolated case study and go, well, based on Samuel alone, is it possible that when God speaks directly to a person, even a prophet, that it's going to at times be that the person hearing God doesn't even know that God is speaking to them. In other words, when God speaks directly to a prophet, for instance, is it always 100% guaranteed that the prophet recognizes that God is speaking to them immediately? Or does that sometimes come later? Does that sometimes come with outside counsel and influence? Well, if we just took Samuel as an example you might go, well, we can't isolate, you know, we can't just build a theology off of one, you know, case. And I, and I agree. I agree. We, we should not base uh, theology or application for our lives off of one isolated case in the narrative, right? But Job chapter 33, 14, it says, God speaks in one way, okay, and in two, even though man does not perceive it. Which means what? God has a knack of talking to people even though he knows they're not going to recognize it's him speaking. They're not going to perceive what he's saying because they don't even recognize it's him speaking. And that's not a waste. That's not, um, you know, something that God sees as, this is not a good use of my time. In verse 15, it says, in a dream. Right? Because remember, God speaks in one way. And in two, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. While they slumber on their beds, then he opens he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. What's fascinating about Samuel's story is that's kind of what's taking place. It's in the nighttime. It's not a dream. It's not a vision. But God does come through the word of the Lord in a direct message to Samuel. But God is warning Samuel about what's about to happen to Eli. You know what the sad reality about that is? Is that I'm sure at times God wanted Eli to personally have that. Now we can read in and I can assume, I'm just, I'm going, it seems as though God could have delivered that message directly to Eli. We don't know if God had done so already and given the word and Eli was just, but we do know that Eli is not in a, position to effectively hear God speaking or know the voice of the Lord. Now, if you go back to Hannah, he does go, Hannah, you're going to have a child. Uh, Is that God working in the midst of, even though Eli is kind of a sad, tragic uh, example of a high priest, God still works through him to get his job, get the job done so Hannah can have a baby? Sure. But here, God does give a nighttime warning to Samuel about Eli's house. 
you know, that he may turn a man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. So the idea here is that, yeah, God will speak directly to individuals, whether dream or vision. And you go, this is just Old Testament. This is pre-New Testament. Fine. The point still stands. If we're just going to isolate this to the way God used to work before we had the completed canon of Scripture, then God, you know, actually decides to speak to people directly, whether dream, vision, or word, even though he knows they're not going to perceive it. And it's not just perceiving the meaning, but perceiving that God is speaking at all. Let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah is told by God that, you know, judgment's coming on Judah and um, Babylon's going to kind of clean house in Jerusalem and that Zedekiah the king is going to be taken to Babylon and um, even though you fight against the Chaldeans, you won't succeed. Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me. Watch. He says, the word of the Lord. This is Jeremiah, one of the major prophets. He ain't minor. He's major. He's sergeant major among the prophets. The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle. If you're looking for two baby names, there you go. Your uncle will come to you and say, so God's telling Jeremiah, hey, Hanamel, the son of your uncle Shalom, Hanamel's his cousin, kind of sounds like enamel. He's going to come to you. Okay, Jeremiah, he's going to tell you to buy my field that is at Anathoth. Because in Hebrew culture, the right of redemption by purchase is actually Jeremiah's being the closest relative. Okay, so the cousin of Jeremiah is going to come to Jeremiah and God's warning Jeremiah about it. Not like it's a bad thing, but letting him know Hey, he's going to tell you to buy his property. Then, watch what happens. Then Hanimal, my cousin, came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. He came to me in the court of the guard, just like the word of the Lord had said. I don't know why I said ward, so weird. Just like the word of the Lord had said. And then my cousin said to me, buy my field at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. For the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Watch what it says in verse 8. Then, which is a time marker, which means previously up to this point, this was not true. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. What do you do with that? You can do all kinds of hermeneutical, scriptural jumps around this and go, well, let's go to the... The idea here is that Jeremiah was told something by God, but it seems as though he wasn't absolutely sure that it was actually God telling him to do this until his cousin actually came and did it. Because look at what it says, then I knew this was the word of the Lord. If Jeremiah had already confidently known that God was indeed giving him a message, then it wouldn't say, then I knew, right? It would say something like, then what I already knew was established or, or verified even more. He goes, then I knew this was the word of the Lord. Which means he didn't before, huh? And you go, you're reading a little bit into that. Am I? Because Samuel's not the only example. Job even tells us that, you know, man doesn't perceive a lot of the times when God is speaking, it's not to the error or the fault of God, but it's on our end. It's our fault, right? Jeremiah doesn't seem to be absolutely sure when indeed God spoke to him that it was actually God speaking to him. 
It says, and I bought the field. So then he does it. He does it. He doesn't do it before his cousin comes because the offer's not there, obviously. But it's like he has the, the, the assurance and the confidence to buy it once his cousin comes to verify that, oh, that was God speaking to me. Almost like the word was preparatory for when it happens. I don't know if you ever had things happen like this in your life, and this is purely anecdotal, meaning this is just purely based off my life experience, and it's a small story, but it's still a valid experience. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever happened, have this happen to you, but it's like where you'll get this inclination or suspicion something's going to happen, okay? And you're not sure if that was God kind of giving you a little insight into what's going to happen or if it was you and your own fears and anxieties welling up and you're creating this hypothetical scenario. You're going, I don't know if it's God or I don't know if it's me. I don't know what it is, okay? But you lay it at God's feet and go, I don't know if it's you, but I just I, I just had this suspicion or this feeling or this inclination something's going to happen. And then it happens, right? And there was almost like this, oh, that happening, um verified to me that it wasn't just a taco from last night. It was you. It was you. Tacos would do some cool things to you, but won't give you the word of the Lord. So I I know it was you. You told me this would happen. And sometimes that will happen where there's almost like this suspicion, this inclination that God has given you in the spirit to let you know something's going to happen to, to prepare you mentally or emotionally or, or help you take the the right preparatory action because it's going to happen. Whatever it is, whatever God is doing, through telling you it's going to happen. Sometimes you're not absolutely sure it's God, just like Jeremiah, just like Samuel, just like Job talks about, until something happens to verify, oh, that was him. And then once I do know, the previous instructions I received now become valid. And I go, okay, maybe I should do that because it happened to verify the instructions I received prior to this. So I'm going to act on the word of the Lord now that he's verified. This is, this is kind of what Gideon will do. He'll go, I, I need to know you're with me. It's like, bro, how, what else has God got to do, bro? He, he's shown you in many ways, but okay. Here's a fleece. Make it wet, but the ground dry. God goes, boom. And Gideon goes, pretty cool, but could you make the fleece dry on the ground wet? boom. Okay, now I know. That you're indeed going to do what you said. But you didn't prior? Okay, let me take you to... I mean, I could take you to a few other passages. For instance, in Genesis 41, Pharaoh has a dream. He's got a dream. He had a dream that uh, he didn't really understand what it was, but he saw... I don't even know what that song was from. Now I'm thinking about what movie was I unknowingly quoting. Um... But in Genesis 41, Pharaoh has a dream about the future of Egypt. There's going to be a famine. He sees big corn eat small corn or small corn eat big corn husks. He sees small, flimsy, you know, uh, cows that are dying eating fat, plump cows. And he's going, ah, he wakes up going, I don't like this. Well, that was God directly speaking to Pharaoh in order for Joseph to come and interpret Nowhere in the text does it say that Pharaoh knew God was giving him a dream, just that he was troubled by it and he wanted the application, right? Um, Golly, what is that song? He's got a dream. He's got a dream. Oh, you know what? It's from Rapunzel. Okay, I'm done. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2. He has a dream. 
about, uh, well, his empire essentially crumbling and being handed over to the next and the next until Jesus comes and crushes every rebellious human kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't perceive that God is directly speaking to him and giving him a vision of the future. He's just troubled just like Pharaoh was. Same thing in Daniel 4. In other words, there are times where God will speak directly to an individual. And even just like prophets, Samuel, Jeremiah, it's not guaranteed. I think this is one of the misconceptions people have about prophecy or the way God speaks to people. And I would say if it's true about the highest form of communication, almost like, again, we put prophets on this high pedestal where it's like when God speaks directly to a prophet, man, it's like they're on the phone with each other nothing's getting no mistakes are being made there they know exactly there's no static it's like they're face to face that's that's fine and all but can human fallibility even on the part of the prophet be a factor in whether or not the prophet receives understands perceives it's god speaking or what to do or to take the right course of action does god sovereignly allow for human fallibility even on the part of the prophet to play a role in the communication method and the way he gets his plans done. I think if God's going to partner with people, he's already factored in our fallibility. Does that make sense? If God is going to partner with humanity, he's going to factor in our fallibility. So in Daniel's dream, uh, Pharaoh's dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you need to understand, and well, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, those are a few examples of people who are getting a direct message from God about what's going to happen, right? Um, And they don't perceive that it's God speaking. Until Joseph comes and goes, my God could tell you what it means. Or until Daniel comes and goes, my God can tell you what it means, right? Then they're like, your God's the man. Oh, your God's the man. And they go, yeah. So God will verify or rather validate himself and exalt himself and, and glorify himself through not just the ways he talks to people, but the ways that he sets up how he's going to talk to people. You know, God doesn't just go, Pharaoh, it's me, the God of Israel. Pharaoh would have been like, God of who? What? There's a nation? Not yet, <laughs> but there will be. God goes, here's a dream. It's a personal message. Joseph comes in, validates that God is glorified. And then Pharaoh comes to know, oh, that's the Lord. That was the Lord speaking to me. Same with Nebuchadnezzar. In John chapter 12, while this is not a direct message per se, this is still God speaking, right? John chapter 12, uh, Jesus goes, Father, glorify your name. A public spectacle, a voice comes from heaven. I'll say that again. A voice came from heaven. And the voice said, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard this voice from heaven, they heard it and they said, Oh, thunder. Looks like rain. Others said, No, an angel spoke to him. Jesus goes, Both wrong. (laughs) The voice has come for your sake, not mine. To let you know the ruler of this world's cast out. I'm going to be lifted up. Draw men to myself. That was the father. Did the crowds perceive it? They heard the voice. Did they perceive it was God? No, they just said, thunder, ah, or an angel. They didn't perceive it to be the voice of God. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? Someone said, I didn't know in the chat, I just, I read this. I didn't know there were 12-year-old preachers. You know my sense of humor. You've been here long enough. I love it. 
I don't take those jokes personally. I welcome them. Um, so the question becomes when God speaks, is it always, when God speaks to us, this is one of the misconceptions we need to break off of our theology and understanding of God, <clears throat> is that when God speaks to us, will we always immediately perceive and recognize that it's God speaking directly to us? And the answer is no. That's not how God has sovereignly decided to work with humanity. That is not to minimize his ability. That is not to minimize his sovereignty or his omnipotence or his greatness or his glory. Because someone will go, oh, so you're saying that God has trouble getting messages through. And I go, no, God has accounted for the fact that human fallibility might play a role in how the message is received and then God seems to work through that. Or, or God has sovereignly decided to allow human fallibility, even on the part of prophets and believers, to sometimes get in the way of our reception or discernment or knowing what is the right course of action to take. And God has sovereignly allowed for that. Because Dan, I think it's Joseph will say that interpretations belong to God. So you can get a direct word from God. You can get a direct message from God, but if you run from that and not rely on him for the interpretation or the meaning, you misunderstand what it is to partner with God. I don't just partner with God and open myself up to anything he wants to say. In other words, I don't need God just to speak to me and then I run with it. I need God to tell me what he means. I need to pray and seek him and fast for understanding on what is the right course of action. And we see this in the book of Acts when it comes to the famine. That's prophesied. We see this in, in Joseph's day. There's a famine coming. What do we do? Well, obviously, Joseph, you seem to have wisdom, my guy, so why don't you take charge? Uh, me? A little old me? Guess my dreams came true, didn't they, brothers? Hmm? Right? So I don't think Scripture holistically wants to tell us that, hey, when God speaks to you, you will always immediately perceive it's him speaking that seems to be a human limitation uh something that's traditionally passed down <clears throat> from a set of theological beliefs that becomes nothing more than a denomination or camp and i don't believe it's consistent with scripture can god absolutely when it's necessary Make sure that a person knows it's him speaking. Yes, we see this throughout scripture. When it's absolutely necessary and required, and then someone else will go, oh, so sometimes God speaks unnecessarily, and then God speaks necessarily as if there's weights to the message. I would say that there are things God has absolutely sovereignly ordained. They're going to happen whether people get in the way or not. There are other things God has sovereignly decided these things will only happen if human beings that I'm working with and partnering with are receptive and open and work alongside me. And if they don't happen, that doesn't completely ruin the plan of redemption. It's just those secondary things God wanted to do through his people don't actually get done. And that's okay. Which means I believe at times the way in which God speaks to people can carry, I'll just say what God wants to do, he'll get it done. He's going to get it done, whether we get in the way or not. And sometimes if a message needs to get through 
and it, human fallibility cannot play a role in what's happening here, God will absolutely ensure that it doesn't get in the way. But if God has allowed for that to be a role or a factor in the communication method, that's on God. He's a big boy. He's, I think we forget that. God is a big boy. The second misconception, question rather, is, hey, does God always give the meaning or the purpose of a, of a prophetic vision or dream or word? <clears throat> in other words, when a prophet receives a word from God, do they always understand the full scope of what they're saying, the meaning or the purpose of the prophetic vision? Or sometimes, will the meaning come later? Or will the right course of action come later? Or will it even come through someone else? Sometimes God does give the immediate interpretation, and I'm not saying that God doesn't do this. I'm just saying I don't believe we are to make this a restriction or a filter to know whether or not God is speaking. Because sometimes people will do this, especially in the cessationist camp. They'll say, if God is speaking, you would know it. I don't know, Jeremiah, Samuel, Job, other biblical examples seem to kind of prove disprove that. Or people from the cessationist camp will go, well, if God's going to speak, you'll always know what to do with it. It's not going to be without purpose. And I go, immediately? Jeremiah chapter 1, 11 through 14 is an example of God giving the interpretation immediately. Immediately, okay? But this is not normative. Or I, rather than normative or common, I'll say this is not always expected and guaranteed. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said. <clears throat> and, and then the Lord said, hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I'm sure Jeremiah's like, oh, I hate tests. I hate tests. Uh, what if I fail this? Uh, a, an almond branch. Then the Lord said, you've seen well. For I'm watching over my word to perform it. There's the interpretation of that vision. 13, the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? Another test. Uh, a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose on all the inhabitants of the land. Then he'll go on to explain what that vision means. So there's an example of God immediately giving the interpretation of a prophetic word, vision. In Daniel chapter 7, I want you to see this. Daniel just received quite the vision. A son of man given incredible power and glory coming on the clouds with a kingdom. <clears throat> and then prior to that, there seems to be uh, uh, more <laughs> confusion for Daniel, okay? Verse 15, this is what it says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Why do they alarm him? Why is he anxious? I think because it's, he's experiencing something similar that Pharaoh and King Nebuchadnezzar experienced. They were alarmed and anxious because they knew their dreams meant something, but they didn't know what it meant or how to figure out what it meant. I think Daniel's in this precarious position where he's used to knowing what dreams mean and used to knowing a vision. And, and here he's going, I'm the guy that needs help now. It says, I approached one of those who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all of this. Now, we don't know what would have happened, but a hypothetical scenario would be, 
What if Daniel did not ask someone standing by him in the vision for clarity on the vision? What would have happened? Would Daniel have ever gotten the interpretation and the meaning of the vision? Would it have been delayed and it wouldn't have come for a little while? And God's like, well, he's not asking, so let's just give it to him. Because it doesn't seem as though Daniel's getting the interpretation immediately with or after the vision. Instead, there's a delay and he's going, I'm, I'm anxious. These visions are freaking me out. I don't know what they mean. So he has to ask someone else the truth about this. And so he told me, and he made known to me the interpretation of the things. The four great beasts are four great kings. Daniel didn't know that before. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. Verse 19, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. Because prior to this, he saw a vision of the beast, and he's going, what, what is happening? I'd freak you out too. It'd freak you out. You wouldn't sleep for weeks. And Daniel's going, I want to know why that fourth beast scared me. I don't know what it is. I don't know the truth about it. So guess what? He asks the one standing in the vision with him. It's like an experience. It's a full-blown IMAX experience of the word of the Lord. Something you and I are probably not uh, very familiar with. Okay? It's not a normative thing. This is supposed to be very, very special. But the point here is that did Daniel immediately understand and perceive what was happening as it was happening? No. There seems to be a delay between the vision and the interpretation. Daniel chapter 8 verse 5, same, same thing. He sees a vision of rams, two horns, things happening, representing kingdoms. He doesn't know that. And he says, as I was considering, why, why do you consider things? Why do you consider things? When you're trying to make sense of them and understand, you consider something. Hmm. This is what it means to meditate on scripture. There's people think meditating, uh, you know, when it comes to being Christians is like, um, let me get in the right pose and summon the right. No, meditating is considering, thinking through, right? So as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. In other words, as Daniel's trying to make sense of the last vision, God sends another one. He's like, right, whoo, can we put pause on the movie? I don't understand the last scene. I need to rewind a little bit. Can you pause the movie? God, these are flying in my face a little too fast. You can tell that Daniel seems to not fully be on track with what's happening. And you go, how do we know that? Because later, <coughs> um, we see... Out of one of them, it gray, green, gray, and the host will be given. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one to the one who spoke. How long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? This right here is clarity on the time frame of Daniel's vision that he didn't previously have, which is why he's considering in verse five, and a couple holy ones. Daniel gets to overhear the conversation. When's the last time you heard a conversation between a couple holy ones? I'm talking spiritual beings. I don't know what's happening. But yeah, like uh, Melody said, Mary did that concerning what she heard from the angel. She considered these things. Or when she heard, when she saw uh, the shepherds come and, and, the, and the wise men come and bow down and worship her son in the stable, she considered those things and treasured them in her heart. Daniel chapter 12, same kind of thing. Sees another vision. Verse 8, I heard but I didn't understand. 
So again, Daniel's seeing an interaction between a man clothed in linen, right? And one who is standing on the bank, two others. These seem to be spiritual figures. Daniel's seeing this play out. Like he gets a front row seat to the spiritual play of heaven, which is play acting the future. And he said, I I heard, but I did not understand. Well, hold on. If you're a prophet receiving a vision or a word or a dream from God, God is going to give you the vision or the interpretation with that word, isn't he? I don't, Daniel doesn't understand what he's hearing or seeing. Then I said, my Lord, what, what are the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise, they will understand. In other words, Daniel has partial understanding of what he saw, but the parts he's confused about, the parts that he really wants to understand, we have this angel, this spiritual being going, Daniel, it's not for you to know. Uh, we're going to seal this up until it's the time of the end. And those who will understand are those who are wise. Those who are wicked won't. But Daniel does understand what he needs to understand, which is uh, a general sense of the time frame and the way in which God will. So what I'm trying to show you is that no, so far, it doesn't seem as though God always gives the meaning, the interpretation of the message he's given you. Sometimes there's a delay. In Daniel's case, he, this side of heaven, in his physical life, never would come to know what the vision fully meant or what the message fully was conveying. He was left in the dark. Why would God do that? Because Daniel played his role. Daniel played his role in you and I now Thousands of years later, in Christ, get to see what Daniel did not. And so, yeah, uh, <clears throat> I can go to Job chapter three again, 33 again and show you that, yeah, it's not perceived. I'll take you to Isaiah 38. I want to give you some passages because there is a misconception which says, hey, if you don't know the me, if you have to ask for someone else, if you have to ask someone else or you have to pray that God would give you the purpose of a word or a vision or a dream that can't be from God because God would not leave you in the dark, confused or unaware or not fully understanding what he told you. It would be abundantly clear immediately. Well, so far with just Daniel, is that true? When God speaks to someone, is it absolutely a definitive rule that God will always give the meaning and the interpretation right there with the word of the dream or the vision. Isaiah 38. Isaiah has a word from God about King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah becomes sick and was about to die. And Isaiah comes to reassure Hezekiah, yes, you are dying. Thanks, Isaiah. You can go home now. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. You are going to die. Isaiah, who let you in my house? (laughs) You shall not recover. Isaiah, why are you still here? (laughs) You and I are both in agreement. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. And he said, please, Lord, remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart. Remember how I've done what is good in your sight. Remember, Hezekiah wept bitterly. 
Now, what is the message Isaiah had from God? Is there anything else recorded besides this message for Hezekiah? No, the only message we have recorded that Isaiah would give to Hezekiah in his, what seemed to be final days, is you're going to die, you won't recover, get your house in order. Bummer. Well, have a good life. But the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of David, your father says. I heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. <clears throat> Did Isaiah get it wrong the first time? No. Did Isaiah have an incomplete message? I wouldn't go that far. I would say Isaiah was told what he needed to know. Isaiah told Hezekiah what Hezekiah needed to know. And God sovereignly knew what that message would prompt in Hezekiah. God sovereignly knew, not caused, but knew what Hezekiah would do in response to hearing this news. So Isaiah knew what God said. You're going to die. You won't recover. What Isaiah did not know was that God intended to heal Hezekiah through his prayer and add 15 years to his life. And in some sense, the first prophecy Isaiah gives is actually conditional. Isaiah thought it was a done deal. Ain't nothing stopping this. You're dead. What Isaiah was not told, or what we don't have recorded, was that Isaiah didn't, he didn't know it was a conditional prophecy. And guess what? There are lots of conditional words from God in Scripture. And promises as well. But beyond that, Isaiah is told what he needs to know. Did Isaiah mess up? No. Did Isaiah have the right word? Yes. Did he fully understand the interpretation, the purpose, and the meaning of that message? Not necessarily. He didn't know it would prompt Hezekiah to pray. He would cry and repent, turn to God, and God would add 15 years. He didn't know that was the purpose for which God had sent forth the word to Hezekiah through Isaiah. But after the fact, it seems as though Isaiah knew. In Judges 7, we have Gideon. Gideon knows, or at least has been told by God, he's about to crush some fools, right? God has tried to reassure him. Gideon's still in some fear. He just lost most of his army. 300 men, come on. And Gideon comes down <clears throat> to see the Midianite army just kind of as a spy, and Gideon overhears a conversation. Watch what happens. When Gideon came into the camp, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. Is this just a random dream or is this a dream that came from God? You're about to see in a minute. Because right before this, <coughs> verse 9, it says, The Lord said, Hey, Gideon, go down to the camp of the Midianites. Now I'm sure Gideon's like, Oh, you want me to die early? Cool. Now, Gideon's not going to die. God has something else in store. He says, I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid, okay, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you're going to hear what they say. And your heart will be strengthened. In other words, God is allowing Gideon to overhear a dream that would strengthen Gideon's hand and encourage his heart. What does that mean? It seems as though God has sovereignly allowed for 
these Midianites to have this dream. So a man was telling his dream to his comrade. These are the enemies of Israel, right? Gideon's overhearing the message. And he said, oh, bro, come here. What? <clears throat> Don't say anything. I, I had a dream. And there was a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And, and it came to the tent and struck it down. It fell and it turned upside down so the tent lay flat. Now, it doesn't say that man knew what his dream meant. It doesn't say that. But his friend responds with the interpretation. Okay? His comrade said, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Gideon heard that and he worshipped God. He heard the dream from one man. And he heard the interpretation from another. What do we have going on here? And is this an isolated scenario? Is this an isolated case? I don't believe so. Number one, God gives a dream to the enemy army. One man has a dream. He seems troubled. He seems to have a suspicion about what it means. But he tells his friend, his friend has the interpretation. Meaning God gave the the word to one and the interpretation to another, and both are used so that Gideon can overhear it and be strengthened to go to war. Isn't that fascinating? What's God given dreams of the future to an enemy army for? Well, to strengthen the hand of his people. That's what he's doing. If you go to Acts chapter 10, verse 9, Peter has a vision. Now, I'm not going to take a long time to go through this. Peter has a vision it's essentially saying Gentiles are welcome into the kingdom, right? He's about to go to Cornelius to share the gospel. And he sees this dream three times. Three times. Or this vision, sorry, not dream. He's awake, right? And the thing, the sheet he sees in his vision, it's taken up to heaven. Now watch. Peter was inwardly perplexed. That seems to be a consistent theme so far with with Daniel, with Nebuchadnezzar, with Pharaoh, with the Midianites, with even Job 33. Now, Peter, he has a direct vision from God speaking to him about the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. Peter's perplexed. Well, he's just perplexed about some of the details as to what the vision he had seen meant. And the men, Cornelius is a Gentile. God orchestrated that Cornelius would send two messengers to Peter, They would bring Peter to Cornelius' household to hear the gospel. Peter doesn't know that yet. He just has three preparatory visions that would almost ready him to be receptive to these messengers. Otherwise, I don't believe Peter would have been receptive to these Gentile messengers that are saying, come to our Gentile home. But God is preparing Peter. How? By giving him a vision he doesn't even understand. Isn't that interesting? Okay. In other words... Peter doesn't understand what is the meaning of these visions. There's a general sense. You you call things that are clean, are uncommon, clean now. And what what is happening with these animals? And I saw some lobsters and Peter's confused. And the men sent by Cornelius came and called to Simon. Peter is what? Still pondering the vision. Just like Daniel. Pondering the word of the Lord, going, God spoke to me, but I don't know what it means. The Spirit said to him, 
here's the meaning. Come on, buddy. No, spirit doesn't tell him that. He goes, three men are looking for you. And Peter's like, that's what you're going to tell me? I'm struggling with what you meant in the vision. Come on, man. What do you mean there are three? You're making me go with someone now? Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. I've sent them. Peter went down. He eventually finds himself in the house of Cornelius. And guess what? <coughs> Peter goes, um, where is it? He says in verse 28, he's in the house of Gentiles and he goes, look, you guys know how unlawful it is for me to be here, right? But God showed me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Did you see that? Did, did you see how Peter has partial understanding of the vision? Partial. God said, Peter walks away from the vision going, I know God showed me I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. But what are the implications of that? What does that mean? He doesn't yet know until what's about to take place. So when I sent for, when I was sent for, I came without objection, meaning he only came because the spirit of God told him and prepared him with those three visions, meaning those visions were preparatory in nature to soften the heart of Peter, to go with Cornelius's boys. Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I had a vision. So you guys sent for me and here I am. Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly, I understand God shows no partiality. And in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he understands that. Why? Because now he's standing in the household of Cornelius and he shares the gospel. He shares the good news of Jesus and watch. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for these? This vision is being progressively unpacked for Peter real time. As Peter takes steps of obedience, the vision becomes more clear. The interpretation becomes more clear. Meaning what? There is a biblical category for God speaking. We see this in Daniel. We see this with Pharaoh. We see this with Nebuchadnezzar. We see this with Daniel three times. We see this. There is a biblical category for this. When God speaks sometimes, our steps of obedience in faithfulness will bring clarity to what he meant in that word, that vision, or that dream. And the interpretation might come in pieces. It might come partially at times. And with each step we take in faithfulness towards God, doing what he says, another portion of that word or vision becomes clear. So the misconception that says, hey, if God's going to speak to you, you will always know the meaning and the interpretation of that word, vision, or dream in that moment, or it's not God. That misconception falls to the ground. And I'm not even done. Hey, real quick, I want to tell you something you might not know about. In the description of this video, you can find the links for all the free resources we have available. And yes, these are all free. Our online Bible study classes, our online church community on the Discord app, all of the sermon notes from our past messages, Bible study cheat sheets, Bible study workshop videos, both our podcasts, and more. Visit AboveReproachMinistry.com for all these free resources. And while you're there, grab some church merch or grab a copy of my book, Fruitful. This book outlines the essential keys for the most abundant, satisfying, 
satisfying life in Jesus. It's perfect for new believers and those who want to take their faith to a new level. Again, all these links can be found in the description of the video below. So go check that out and let's get back to the video. Something to consider is that when God <clears throat> didn't make it clear to Peter what the vision meant in its entirety, sometimes people might go, that is to diminish God's ability to communicate as if God communicates imperfectly. And that's not the case. <clears throat> it seems as though God sovereignly ordained and, and intentionally did it this way um, that Peter would only know or understand part of the vision in order to move forward, right? In other words, God knows things we don't. There's a chance that God knew Peter would only take the first step towards Cornelius if he only knew part of the vision. And then he sovereignly ordained that as Peter walked towards Cornelius and did the things he, he felt inclined to do, that things would become more clear. In other words, sometimes having partial understanding of a vision or dream or a word from God is intentional on the part of God to direct you. And it's, it's as if, if you knew the full thing, you might not take the right steps. Who knows what Peter would have done if he had the full understanding of the vision? Maybe it wasn't the right time or the right way to, to really you know, receive that. We don't know. <clears throat> but something to consider. Just, just know that God does a lot of things um, that we're just, frankly, we don't have the grid to comprehend or understand. First Peter 1.10, I want to take you here. Peter himself writes this. He's talking about the salvation that comes through Jesus. This, this mystery of Jew and Gentile, one new humanity in Jesus through faith. He said, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The, this passage in context seems to indicate that angels longed to both spiritual beings in the heavenly places on God's side and possibly even spiritual beings in the kingdom of darkness because there are dark spiritual evil beings, right? But either way, the, the context seems to indicate that not only angels longed to understand what we now know as the gospel at one point. But even the prophets only prophesied in part, only understood in part, just like we see in 1 Corinthians 13. They had to search and inquire, trying to figure out what is, who is this person? What's he going to do? They had, they knew enough about the coming savior and the future gospel. They knew enough to do what God called them to and to play their role right? And they might not have known everything they wanted to know. In fact, Jesus will say this in the parable of the sower, right? Which is actually where I'm going right now. Wow, look at that. Jesus will say this when he's explaining uh, things to, you know, the meaning of this to uh, his boys. Um, is it in Luke's gospel? Come on, come on. Well, for the one who seeing they don't see, 
Seekers of Kingdom Heaven. Hold on. I, I, I'm not totally off. I know it's around here. Blessed are you. Here it is. Verse 17. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people, they longed to see what you see. They didn't see it. They longed to hear what you hear, and they didn't hear it. We have a picture of the Old Testament prophets as once again prophesying in part, running their leg of the race, right? Playing their role, running in their lane, and doing what God had called them to do. There's a lot they didn't know about the future Messiah and kingdom and gospel, but they knew what they needed to know to play their role, right? So when it comes to prophets and prophecy, there might be a sense in which maybe at times God has purposely um, only given part of a partial understanding of a message or vision or a word to someone because that's their part. That's their responsibility. That's, that's their part in the body and the life they're going to live. And maybe later in the future, however late in the future they want, maybe their generation, the, the, you know, the next generation, their children will have a more complete understanding of the, the vision and word that God gave to their father or their mother. God sovereignly orchestrates these things. I mean, <clears throat> the question that we're unpacking is, look, does God always give the meaning and understanding uh, of a prophetic word, a vision, a dream, even to prophets directly? Does a prophet always understand the full scope of what they're saying? When someone is hearing directly from God, do they always understand that it's him speaking and that, and do they understand what he's saying? The answer is no. Just think about the gospel. The gospel is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It's foolishness to Gentiles. The people in Matthew chapter 13 are hearing from God himself directly with zero, uh, you know, physical interruption. Jesus, the, the eternal word emanating from the Father, is standing in front of them. You could not hear a clearer word from God than Jesus. And yet the whole parable of the sower is this. Some of you aren't going to get it. So is it true that at times when God speaks as directly and as, as um, uh, close proximity as it may be, that someone could still not understand? And it's not a fault to God. It's not uh, an error on God's part. It's not to say, well, I guess God doesn't know how to communicate or deliver a message. It means, no, we don't know how to posture our hearts and to be receptive and ready for his, his message. We don't know how to discern and recognize his voice. We're not actually looking towards him and, and focused on him to know when he's speaking and what he's saying. And we don't know how to seek him when we do hear and go, I don't know what that means. We just kind of walk away and go, if I don't get it, can't be God. Instead of seeking and going, Lord, is this you? And, and asking in prayer and fasting and, and taking time to seek for confirmation and getting godly counsel and opening his word. I wonder how much of our own, I'll say this. I wonder how much in our own lives we've chalked up to, I guess that can't be God, when it's actually God is speaking, but we're at fault for not recognizing or discerning or putting the effort into understanding what he's saying. Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower and the whole gospel. Any, you can go to anyone, up, on, go, to your, go to your streets, go to your neighborhood, okay? Knock on 10 different doors. Share the same message and watch the different responses that take place. They are hearing the, you can read directly from scripture. You can go through the Romans road. Hello, thank you for having me in your house. I know I'm not welcome here. I know you're holding a gun. You, don't be afraid. I'm just opening the Bible. Romans chapter, you have, a, you have a Bible? You can turn with me. Romans chapter three. For all have sinned. 
and fall short of the glory of God. You can deliver the uh, unadulterated, unfiltered, perfect, divine word of God to someone, right? And there can still be a lack of understanding or discerning that God is indeed speaking. And if that's the case with the infallible, divinely authoritative scriptures, why would we think that hearing from God apart from scripture is going to look or sound or or, or it's going to play by different rules? Why would we expect that? We, we give room for like, when, when I preach the gospel on the, on the streets and 10 people walk away and they're like, that's not God's word. We don't understand what you're saying. I don't go, well, I guess God's not speaking anymore. I know they weren't receptive and open to the scriptures. There's a lack of understanding. Something was interrupting their ability to, to, to seek for or want to know or, or understand what God is saying through his word. I mean, think about the apostles all throughout Jesus' ministry, walking with the living word, hearing his voice, and most of their story pre-resurrection is they didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand what he meant. The saying was hidden from them. It went right past them. So the misconception that, well, if God is going to speak, you'll always understand what it is he's saying. There will always be a clear uh, interpretation and meaning relayed to you immediately. That's just a complete misconception. So I don't think we should go, as we're navigating life, and I'm not saying open yourself up to everything and say everything's God, but I don't think we should live life going, hmm, I had a sense that God was speaking to me in that dream or in that, in that <clears throat> I got a suspicion or a sense of, Something's going to happen. I, I, we shouldn't go, well, I don't know what it means, so it can't be God. Instead, I think we should be, be more open to the possibility. Not like assuming it's God, but being open to the possibility. Even though I don't understand, and I'm not yet certain it's God speaking, I should follow the trail of breadcrumbs to see if it leads to Jesus or not and ask in prayer, and seek for godly counsel. And if someone says, whoa, hold on, brother, if God's going to speak, the interpretation or meaning will come directly from him. You won't need to rely on people. He won't need to bring you into prayer. He won't need to. I go, you misunderstand fundamentally what it means to partner with God in the midst of human fallibility and for God to be sovereign. You misunderstand what it is to walk with our Father is he's going to put all these different things in place so that you just stay dependent on him. Not just for the, the word, not just for the dream or vision, but for the interpretation, for the right course of action, for the understanding. And you go, why, why, why do people have to be involved? Because God has ordained that we are a part of a body. And we depend on each other. And for me to play rogue Christian and me lone wolf in it, and I'm just doing it, me and Jesus, man, to live like that is to live in, a, in opposition to God's ideal. You and I are to, are to depend on each other. So if God wants to do what he did for Midian, where he goes, one gets a dream, the other gets the interpretation, why would I think that's bizarre? When God might be encouraging godly community or encouraging fellowship or strengthening a friendship that I have with another brother or sister in Christ by giving me the dream, vision, and the word and giving them the interpretation. Same with tongues. One has a tongue, the other has the interpretation, right? 
So you can go to Joseph's dreams, right? Does Joseph fully understand what he's dreaming when he gets the word from God? Not until he sees his brothers bowing down at his feet. What about Pharaoh? Did he understand the whole famine thing? Not until Joseph brought the interpretation. Did King Nebuchadnezzar understand that his kingdom was one in a long line of failed kingdoms about to take? No. Not until Daniel came and brought the interpretation. So if there's an interpretation that is delayed or the meaning is obscured or you're not, you only partially understand a word for a dream or a vision from God, that doesn't mean that God can't be, that can't be God. It's a ridiculous way to live life. That's despising prophecy as far as I'm concerned is to write everything off as God doesn't speak like that can't be him. If it was him, he'd be uh, giving me the meaning right now, the interpretation right now immediately. If it was him, I'd know for sure. That seems to limit God and to misunderstand partnership entirely and relationship entirely. (laughs) And to misunderstand what it means to walk with God and grow in friendship and to become familiar with his voice and know his voice. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus doesn't say, everyone who follows me perfectly knows my voice. It says they know my voice. They will not know the voice of a stranger or a thief. And you go, why? Because the sheep have been walking with him. Right? Here's a third misconception I think we need to unpack. It's a question. Frame it up as a question. When God speaks directly to a person, does that guarantee perfect reception and understanding? And I think to build on what we just said, we can probably start to gather that it's a no. But let me ask it a different way. Let me address prophets in particular, since we hold them in a, on a higher level. Can a prophet see or hear from God and still conclude the wrong thing? Many Christians have this assumption about prophecy, prophets, or, or God speaking to us. That God's going to speak clearly or not at all. Hmm? So, when Deuteronomy talks about God speaking to Moses face-to-face, rather than in riddles and in dark sayings and in unclear statements, you just kind of write that off? If God's going to speak to us, he's going to speak clearly at all, or clearly or not at all. God speaks clearly all the time. It's us who is the issue. Or is at fault when it comes to not discerning, recognizing, or knowing how to act on that word. But if God does intend to speak in a dark riddle, or a dark saying like Deuteronomy says, or a riddle, or like a vision given to Peter where it's like, what's going on? God has sovereignly ordained that is the right approach to getting that word across and to making it come to pass. So God does speak perfectly. I'm never going to say God is an imperfect communicator, okay? But we as the recipients, prophets as the recipients, they're flawed. We are flawed. We are not perfect. God knows that when he speaks to us, he's choosing to speak to imperfect, fallible human beings that don't always understand and are prone to error, okay? Let me show you a couple passages why I conclude that, yes, a prophet can hear from God, hear the right word, 
and possibly even understand most of the right interpretation, but still conclude the wrong thing. <clears throat> Meaning, here's, here's, um, ah, yes, thank you, Lord. Here's the difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that God is speaking. It's a fact. You know, knowledge is the information. Understanding is knowing the meaning behind the information, right? Because we convey ideas through words. God conveys ideas and messages through words. So knowledge is the information or the message being conveyed, right? <clears throat> or rather the message, the delivery method of the message. Um, the message is del- the delivery method of what God wants you to understand. If I didn't make that clear. Knowledge is information. I'm closing my eyes so I can imagine this. Understanding is, is knowing the meaning or the interpretation of what God is saying. Right? So God says, for instance, God says, um, <clears throat> do not commit adultery. That's the information. That's the knowledge. I can memorize the scriptures. Great. The understanding is to understand the heart and the reasoning and the meaning behind that. Well, why shouldn't I? Look at the, look at the effects it has on a person physically, uh, psychologically, mentally, emotionally. Look at this, the destruction and havoc it wreaks on society. Look at how it leaves you know, children fatherless. Look at, so there's understanding in Scripture. But look, at, look at God. He's pure. He's right. He's holy. He's righteous. So all of that understanding from the Scriptures and reasoning, understanding God's reasoning plays a role in me understanding why I should not commit adultery. Knowledge is don't commit adultery. Understanding is here's why. The wisdom is now the application. What do I do? Don't commit adultery. Because I have the necessary understanding of the information. And that's a long way of saying I'm convinced that in Scripture, prophets can have the right, they can hear God, they can know God is speaking, the words are plain, right? And then there's the understanding part. What does it mean? What does the message mean? What's the, what's the real underlying heartbeat of these words and the ideas being conveyed? And then the wisdom is, um, what do we do now that we understand what was said, right? If that makes sense. God speaks. What does he mean? What do I do? I could have just said that and shortcut the whole thing. God speaks. What does he mean? What do I do? I'm convinced that in scripture and the way that God relates to us now is that there are often, oftentimes there's disruptions in between those. There can be a disruption in between God speaking, but I don't know what it means. There can be a disruption between, I know he's speaking, I know the plain words, and I know what they mean, but I don't know what to do. I think those are three logical, clear steps in every prophecy, in every way that God engages prophets, right? And so when, when we think about uh, when God speaks to me, there will be a clear message, the plain language God uses. Here's the words, here's the vision, here's the picture, here's the dream, whatever it is. But what does it mean? Then once you know what it means, what do you do? And is it possible for a prophet to, to make a mistake on either the meaning of a message or the application of a message? And if you go to Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, this is more of the lesser examples, but I want to start off with the weaker, the weaker uh, evidence. 
Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Jonah began going into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, and that's it. That's all he said that we have recorded, at least. Which means, and I think based on Jonah's behavior, that's all he thought was going to happen. He was just telling people what's inevitably coming. I'm just letting you know God's going to destroy you. Not sure why God brought me through the belly of a fish to be here, but hey, you know. But then we see in Jonah chapter 5, um, verse 5 through 11, I think this is chapter 4, sorry. Verse 5 through 11, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east, made a booth. He sat under it in the shade. So did Jonah understand the message of God? Yes. He knew the plain language and the words to convey. In 40 days, God's going to destroy your city. God bless. But he didn't understand the actual heart or meaning of that message, which was to turn them to repentance. He wasn't convinced they were capable of truly repenting because Nineveh's full of wicked people, right? And we're never wicked, right? So Jonah's in the right. And Jonah's going, they're wicked, hate them, evil, killed my people in, in torturous ways, hate them. There's no way they're going to repent. They're, they're dead. They're dead. And so he sets up a nice little chair, opens up his lawn chair, sits down with a cup of iced tea, and waits for the destruction to come. Shade comes. God covers him. Jonah's super happy. But then the next day, a worm attacks the plant. It withers. It gets hot. Jonah no longer has shade. And he said, I want to die. And God said, you, you, you mad, bro, about the plant? And he said, yeah, I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, which you didn't labor for. You didn't make it grow. Came, in, came up in a night and then perished in a night. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle, presumably for sacrificing and idolatry? So watch, watch. The whole point of this is, Jonah knew the plain message to convey. He did not know the purpose, the real heart of that message, which is that God truly pities Nineveh. He wants them to repent. He wants them to turn. He wants to spare them from judgment. And Jonah, all the while, is ignorant of all of that. He understands the message to be nothing more than inevitable fire coming and nothing else. God's just telling you he's pissed. He's going to burn you all to the ground. And God's going, Jonah does not understand the reason for this message. And that's why Jonah ends up preaching a message he doesn't even understand. All the while, he thought he was just bringing inevitable judgment when God was bringing repentance and an opportunity for salvation through Jonah. Isaiah chapter 38, we already looked at this. Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, you gonna die, boy. Hezekiah goes, no, Lord, I'm sorry, remember me. And God goes, hey, Isaiah, go back, tell him I'm gonna add 15 years. Isaiah goes, okay. So Isaiah knew what God said originally, the first message, but he didn't know what God intended to do through Hezekiah's prayer in response to the first prophecy. Meaning, all Isaiah knew was that I'm gonna tell Hezekiah he's gonna die. He didn't know that God's intention or the meaning of that was to turn Hezekiah to pray so that he would pray for healing and he'd receive it and his life would be prolonged. In other words, Isaiah actually had an incomplete <clears throat> picture of what God wanted to do through that first message. Once again, Job 33, 14, um, which if you didn't, if you already forgot, if you forgot where you are, <laughs> we're reading the Bible. 
God speaks in one way, in two, though man doesn't perceive it, right? In a dream, in a vision of the night with warnings and terrifies them. So yeah, man can also, not only, not only, not only can man not recognize that it's God speaking, but man is also capable of not recognizing um, what the meaning of the message is or what to do. Genesis 40 verse 8, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph says, interpretations belong to God. Now you're wondering, why do I go here? Because Pharaoh received a dream. Amen. God speaks through dreams. But Pharaoh did not know what it meant or what he needed to do. In other words, Pharaoh had the knowledge, the plain, clear imagery of what was coming in the future, but he didn't understand and he didn't know what to do. He lacked the understanding and the wisdom. That's where Joseph comes in. That's where God provides that through another means to exalt himself. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but when you have a dream or a vision or a word from God that is validated or confirmed or clarified through another believer, you both glorify God together because you were part of the process. I get to see God glorified and his glory in someone else knowing what my vision means. And they get to see God glorified in being able to answer a vision that I had. It's God working through his body. Okay. So interpretations belong to God. This means that what? It keeps prophets dependent on God. So if Jonah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, if they, at Jeremiah explicitly in chapter 1, he sees an almond branch or he sees a boiling pot. And what does God do? He clarifies what it means. Which means what? What's the implications of that? That a prophet not only relies on God for a message, but on the meaning for it. So I, as a prophet, hypothetically, we'll see this with Nathan. I, as a prophet, if, I, if God anoints me to be a prophet and he shows me something and he says, declare that, I can know what God said. And then I can also choose not to ask him for the meaning of it and go, okay, thanks. And I walk away and God's go, oh, I told you what is the clear message to convey. I didn't tell you what it meant. Or I gave you a vision and now you're going and sharing on YouTube and Instagram with people that, and you're going, I don't know what this means, but hey, and I didn't want you to do that. I wanted you to ask me and rely on me for the meaning of that. This is, this is one of the misconceptions people have about how God speaks is, that if God is going to speak or if God is going to, you know, give someone a prophetic word, a vision, a dream, right? Um, I lost my train of thought. Come back. Come on. Train of thought. Where are you? I lost it. Um, it had to do with... Lord, where'd it go? Can you find it for me, please? Please find that train of thought. Bring it back. It was important. Ah, it'll come back to me. Either way, the whole point is that um, a prophet's fallible human nature can interrupt the, the step between knowledge and understanding or message and meaning. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Because obviously a prophet can choose by their own free will decision not to rely on God for the interpretation <coughs> and then deliver a message they don't even understand. Like, I saw fire. There was a train involved. God told me to warn you. And God's going. And we see this all over YouTube, man. It's, it's frustrating. 
It is so frustrating. Man, it's the worst when someone gets on and they're like, the Lord told me. What did he tell you? Well, he showed me a, a rocket ship. And then it opened and Trump just fell out. And? All right, God bless you guys. Donate to my ministry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So again, there might be wisdom in asking people for understanding and going, Lord, you can bring clarity and understanding to my vision or word through other believers. But man, and this is what I did a a while back. Uh, I'm still not convinced it was a mistake because I gleaned wisdom and clarity through this. But I jumped on. I said, I had a dream last night. This doesn't usually happen. I believe God is speaking to me. I shared it. And I said, I'm only sharing this not to go, hey, guys. Vague message. Let's have fun with it. I'm going, look, I've asked God for clarity. I have a sense I'm supposed to open it up to godly people. So if emails came in, flooding in, going, I I believe your message, what God told you means this, and I believe it means this. And it was pretty consistent across the board. I don't know if you're having fun today, but I'm X21.4. Okay. The question remains, can a person hear the right thing and conclude the wrong thing? Or not seek for understanding or interpretation of the message and then make a wrong decision about it based off wrong understanding? The answer is yes. Acts 21.4, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, um, here it is, sorry. Agabus stands up in verse 10. Verse 4 is a part of it, but it's a little premature. While we're staying for many days, a prophet. A what? A what? A prophet named Agabus. If you have a dog, there you go. New name. Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us. This is Luke recording this as a companion of Paul. Traveling with Paul, he's recording this going, a prophet named Agabus came down. He took Paul's belt. He bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, and he's a prophet, meaning the Spirit of God is indeed speaking through him. Nothing in the text indicates Agabus had it, had it wrong or misunderstood. This is the Spirit of God speaking through Agabus. And Agabus goes, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. And deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And Paul's going, I actually borrowed that belt from Peter. So if you could give that back to him. No, Paul's going, that's my belt. And I know, Spirit of God told me that in Jerusalem chains await me. But watch this. When we heard this prophetic word through the Spirit by Agabus, the people there urged him, don't, don't go. And Paul's going, come on, guys. You know I have to. Now, it doesn't say Agabus was warning Paul not to go. It says the people heard a clear message about Paul prophetically through Agabus by the Spirit, and they conclude the wrong thing. What's going on there? If God's going to speak through a prophet to someone... There better be perfect reception and understanding. Well, only on the part of the prophets. Nonetheless, Agabus is here too. Agabus could have, we could have had recorded Agabus goes, guys, no, 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 no. I don't know why I imagine he has an accent, but he goes, no, no, no. God wants him to go. 
But instead, we just have the people going, you're going to die there, or you're going to be in prison there. Don't go. That was the wrong conclusion. That was a, f- a man's fearful, fleshly response to the word of the Lord. Isn't that wild? What? So you're saying that God allowed these believers to conclude the wrong thing about a genuine prophecy that Agabus gave. And we can't assume Agabus is with them going, yeah, don't go, Paul. We just, the people go, no, don't go. Don't do it. And what do we do with that? Well, Paul has personally received word from the Spirit that he's he has to, and it's necessary. So, I mean, I can take you to 1 Samuel 16. Samuel is sent to anoint, watch what it says in, in, in the beginning of the chapter. Saul messed up. King, king Saul is the king of Israel. <clears throat> Samuel's bummed. Oh, first king's a wreck. And God goes, I know, but I have someone picked out in Bethlehem. Uh, He's the son of Jesse. He's going to be the new king. Samuel says, if I go, Saul will kill me. And God goes, go offer a sacrifice there. So watch. (coughs) Samuel, all he knows is what? One of the sons of Jesse is going to be the king of Israel. He does not know which one. But you're going to see that Samuel's fleshly evaluation gets in the way of what he's supposed to be doing, and he ends up making a wrong conclusion. Watch. So he's standing with Jesse, and when they came, Samuel looked on Eliab. (laughs) Don't know why I said it like that. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed. What did Samuel decide without consulting God? What did Samuel decide having heard from God correctly that it was a son of Jesse, but not knowing which one, what did Samuel decide? Evaluating through fleshly eyes, meaning evaluating the way the world does. Well, he concluded Eliab, Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse, is definitely going to be the king. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord interrupts that and goes, nope. Hey, buddy, blow the whistle. Samuel, no. Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Meaning, Samuel was not evaluating or seeing the way God does. Even with the right prophetic word that it's going to be a son of Jesse. What's what's the whole point of this? Is that you can hear, apparently, (coughs) at least Samuel heard from God to go find a son from Jesse. But with that word, he took it farther than he was supposed to, and he concluded the wrong thing, that it was Eliab. God didn't allow that to to happen, but he interrupted and go, I saw you started to think it was Eliab. It's not him. So I'm just letting you know. I mean, we have other examples of this, guys. We have Abraham knew he'd have a child. Right? He has a word from God. But what does he do? He takes the wrong course of action and him and Sarah go, maybe it's through Hagar. 
What about Abraham being told to sacrifice Isaac? And he concludes, I'm about to lose my son today. He heard from God, but he concluded the wrong thing, that he was actually going to die. Of course, but the point is Gideon, he knows he's going to save Israel, but he seems to take the wrong course of action. In Judge, Judges chapter 6, this example after example, guys, the Spirit of the Lord's on Gideon. He, he, he blows the horn, assembles armies. He goes, yeah, look at them boys. And then God goes later in chapter 7, too many. Gideon goes, too I almost choked my water. You said too many? You said too many. No, you did not say that. You're just, you're just joshing me, God. God goes, too many. Okay. Gideon, Gideon takes the army, whittles them down, and goes, how about now? God goes, too many. <laughs> okay. You're really testing me here, God. I like it. And then he ends up with 300 people, 300 men to take down the Midianite army that was already way bigger than his army at its biggest. So Gideon knows he'll save Israel, and he has a word from God about that, but he concludes the wrong thing. He thinks it'll be with a massive army. And God goes, no. Little bit army. So the point of me sharing all this is, is to answer this question. Just because God speaks directly to someone whether they're a prophet or not, whether through a dream or vision or prophetic word or not, that does not guarantee that the person has complete and perfect understanding or will conclude the right thing about that word. Does that make sense? So hopefully that dismantles any lies or misconceptions you may have come to believe about that, which is it can't be God. It can't be God... um, if there's the possibility of me taking the wrong course of action with it. In other words, some people would say, listen, if God's going to speak, he'll tell you what to do with that word. And you'll know what to do. There's no chance you'll make the wrong decision. If God is speaking to you directly, he'll guarantee you do the right thing. Is that historically, realistically, or biblically true of just humanity in general, apart from prophets and God, just the way God deals with humanity in Genesis Adam and Eve, I don't believe that's a proper conclusion to come to. I do believe that there's a category of, hey, God speaks, but human fallibility can still get involved, and we can conclude the wrong thing, or take the wrong course of action, or take it farther than God wanted us to. This is... This is a touchy one for people right here. And it's this. I gotta go here. I gotta. Okay. Can prophets get it wrong? Well, based on what we've already established, I do believe prophets can truly hear from God and conclude the wrong thing or take that farther, or add to that word things God never said, or whatever it is, imagine a scenario, you know, that God never painted for them, and go, it's going to happen like this, eh, not like that, Gideon, or it's going to be that kid, eh, not, not them, Samuel. But can prophets actually get it wrong? Meaning, can a prophet think they're hearing from God when they're not? And I'll just start with this. This is not an example of, 
of, and this is not at all to belittle prophets in the prophetic office or God in any way. This is just truthfully speaking. If God is going to work with fallible, faulty humans that make lots of errors and have free will decision, he's opening up the possibility for us to make mistakes even with having his perfect divinely authoritative word, whether written or spoken. First Samuel 8, 4 through 9, just a brief synopsis. Israel goes, we want a king. We want a king. Hey, we want a king. We want a king. And Samuel's going, no, 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 no. That is bad. And the Lord says, actually, Samuel, obey the voice of the people. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Was Samuel right in saying that's a wrong thing? Yes. Was Samuel, because Samuel goes, look, it displeased him. That's all. And Samuel responds with that displeasure initially. I, I think we can learn from this and go, hey, when I sense displeasure or discomfort or even peace about something, do I run with that or do I pray about it? Hmm. Some of you rely too much on your feelings when you make decisions. Way too much. You're like, I have peace about this. How do you qualify peace? The absence of turmoil? Your mom didn't yell at you? You didn't get a nasty text from the coworker? I have peace about this. You have a caffeine high? Like, why do you, how do you qualify having peace? I feel discomfort about that. I shouldn't go forward and do that. What? How do you qualify that? If we only make decisions based off what we consider to be a feeling of peace or inner turmoil or disruption with our whatever, you, you, you've already set yourself up to not likely make the best decision. Samuel doesn't go, I have displeasure about this because I know it's a bad thing to ask for, so therefore what's not going to happen, boys and girls? He goes, I have displeasure. I know this is a, a wrong thing for them to ask, but let me ask the Lord. And God goes, actually, that displeasure... While it's correct, I'm still going to give them what they... If Samuel just followed that displeasure and said, no, that actually wouldn't have been what God intended to do. God intended to allow them to have what they wanted because they weren't rejecting Samuel. So he goes, now obey their voice, give them a king. And I only show you that because there's a, there's a possibility, again, that prophets can allow their own human emotions and feelings and preferences to get in the way of how they interpret the word of the Lord or what they conclude about a word they receive from God. That's a very real and likely possibility. Some of y'all won't like this, but this is most likely the prophet Nathan Not thinking he's hearing from God. We'll just read it, okay? King David living in his house. The Lord gave him rest. The king said, Nathan, where's that boy? Nathan, I'm a prophet. Come here. Look, I live in a beautiful house, don't I? But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said, watch what Nathan says. Hey, do all that is in your heart, David. The Lord is with you. Now, this phrase most often is used to indicate God being in something. 
like what you're planning, what you desire, God's hand of approval is on that. He's with you to do that thing. <clears throat> so Nathan is essentially going, David, I get a sense of where you're going. God is with you. Do it. What you're going to see, however, and this is where people go, well, it, the text does not say that Nathan thought he heard God say this. The text does not say, Nathan said, thus saith the Lord. But if Nathan is functioning as a prophet and as counsel for David and as an advisory, as an advisor for David, you wonder what's happening. Either way, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan and God actually corrects Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus, this is what I actually say, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges whom I commanded to, to shepherd my people? Did I ever say, why did you not build me a house of cedar? I am God. That's not what he says. No, he never said that. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you from from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name. I, I highlighted in purple everything God does for David. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. I will appoint a place. For my people Israel, I will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. He goes, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord will make you a house, right? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down, I'll raise up your offspring. He'll establish my kingdom. He'll build a house partially about Solomon, mostly about Jesus. Solomon's going to build a house, the temple of God. I'll be to him a father. Um, in accordance with all these words, uh, with all the vision, Nathan had a vision from God about these things to give to David. The point is, God is saying, David, you're actually not the guy to do this. Um, and I forget where it says this, but it's because David had committed too much bloodshed to be a part of the building of the temple. In other words, David has, um, it's kind of like Samuel. Samuel had the right initial feelings about Israel wanting a king, he goes, ooh, that's not right. And God goes, yeah, you're right about that. You, your feelings are right, but I'm going to let them have it. Same kind of thing happening here. David goes, ooh, I, I just want to build God a house. And God goes, that's cool. That's a good desire. I didn't ask for it, but you're not going to build it. Solomon is. And I, I forget where in scripture it talks about how I'm, Yeah, David will just respond here. But I just want to show you that God actually gives Nathan almost like a vision that corrects Nathan's initial response to David. Because David goes, I want, you know, God dwells in a tent. I don't. And Nathan goes, hey, whatever you're going to do is in your heart. God is with you. And God actually goes, not necessarily. I actually don't want him building the house. He can drop the blueprint. He's made the provision. He's cleared the house so that there's no, you know, 
uh, war in the land and there's peace, but his, he's not going to build it. So actually, I'm not with him in building that his son is. In fact, 2 Chronicles 28, verse 1 through 4. Now, whether we call this Nathan mishearing God or we call this Nathan jumping the gun and speaking um, too soon or whether we call this Nathan, um, I don't know, presuming to speak for God when God wasn't speaking, whatever we call this, this is how it's recorded in 2 Chronicles 28. Ahaz is 20 years old. I think this is it. This has to be it, right? Sorry. Fourth Chronicles. Here it is. First Chronicles 28. Sorry. My bad. Hey, my bad. My bad, G. David assembled at Jerusalem, all the officials of Israel, the officials, the tribes, all just all the people. He's got a party people here, okay? And uh, King David rose to his feet and he says, hear me, my brothers and my people. I, this is David recalling what happened in 2 Samuel 7. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, right? I wanted to do that. So it'd be the footstool for our God. And, and I made preparations for building it, right? So apparently... He made preparations for building it before Nathan actually comes and says, you're not going to be the one to build it. Watch. Um, Verse three, it says, God said to me, you may not build a house for my name. David, you, you, you want to build me a house? You can't do it. You have the right desire. You're just the wrong person to do it. That's for someone else, right? He says, because you're a man of war. That's right. See, I told you. And you've shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's son, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. He's chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne. So at this point, David knows Solomon... It's going to take my place, right? But he also knows, looking back in hindsight, I made preparations for something that I thought I'd be be building. And Nathan told me, do all that's in your heart. And God actually said, you can't build a house. So how we make sense of this is at least, at least, Nathan spoke out of turn, at least, as a prophet. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord. And we can't say he for sure misheard the voice of God. And he goes, I thought God was saying to do that, man. We just know a prophet can jump the gun and speak from their human vantage point rather than from God's vantage point. That, that's all I'll say when it comes to the question, can prophets get it wrong? Seems as though wrong conclusions can be made. Um, wrong in- interpretations can be made. But there is a possibility that even when someone is a prophet, they can jump the gun and say something that God is indeed not. Because we have this idea of prophets who are like, they never got it wrong. Wow. They're amazing. They're perfect. They're infallible. No. Just false. The last question I'll unpack today, second to last. I know we've been here a while. And I might actually just leave this for next week, actually. You know, um, 
It's the question of does God ever lead us through our senses, our suspicions, our feelings, emotions, sensitivities, not as ultimate, not as primary, not to say that these things are always right, not to say that this is the main way God leads us, but by his spirit, does God sovereignly uh, work these things into the way he leads us, our thoughts, desires? Well, I would say, based on what we just read, David had his own desire, his own innate desire, apparently. Um, He said, I I just want to build God a house. It was in my heart. We saw that right here. Um, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for God. And I would say that seems to answer the question sufficiently of does, because God goes, yeah, 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 a house will be built for me, but your son's going to do it. So David had the right sensitivity and leading and, and suspicion, but just some of that was not right. He wasn't the guy. So I'm going to say that for next week. I know some of you are like, no, dude, no. It's next week. I just feel as though next week would be better. What I am going to end on is this. There's this idea where we put man, um, prophets on this really high pedestal where it's like, prophets never got it wrong. They decide to prophesy. They have prophecy on demand. And it's like, well, do do prophets actually have prophecy on command? Can they just prophesy on command Um, as if they're doing it at will? They're just like, you know what? I'm going to decide to prophesy. Or, Or are prophets at the mercy and leading of whenever God wants to speak to them? Meaning prophets, even prophets, don't decide when God speaks. They just decide whether they're receptive and open to when God is speaking and what he's saying. Second Peter one twenty one says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So I think that answers it pretty clearly. That prophets don't have, or pro- even the gift of prophecy is not on demand in the sense that a person can request a word from the Lord and then it's like, well, God's like, I am at your mercy. I did gift you with prophecy. I have to speak. It says no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. What God prophesies, promises, the word of the Lord, it's not, it doesn't originate in the heart and mind of man as if they're the, the source of that. Their imagination conjured that up. Rather, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Not mindlessly, not like robots, not like zombies, right? So the idea here is that, yes, I would say prophets... And those who are gifted with the gift of prophecy um, have a unique trait and gifting, um, but they don't have it on demand. Um, rather, it's as the Lord leads. In fact, First Corinthians 13 will talk about if someone has a prophecy to give, or if that, that if wouldn't be there, if prof, prophets could be, just be like, you know what, I want to prophesy today. That's not what they do. They actually just as the Lord leads. So when it comes to the gift of prophecy or, or hearing from God or even prophets speaking on behalf of God, um, whether or not God speaks or even gives an answer or gives interpretation or gives a dream or a vision, that's entirely up to God. The supernatural power of God is not on tap as if we demand and if, as if it's in our control. I don't decide when God speaks. I just ask him to and I'm open to it and I'm receptive and my heart is postured. So let me take it here. <clears throat> a few examples, okay, to show you that no prophets don't have it. As if first, you know, Second Peter is not enough. Da- back to Daniel, my guy, Danny. Daniel went to his house, 
because he heard Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he is a hangry little fella. King Nebuchadnezzar is hangry. He woke up from a dream going, it was a nightmare. Where are my astrologers? Magicians, interpreters, come here. Tell me what my dream means. Actually, oh, oh, hold on. Tell me what I dreamed. Then tell me what it means. And they're going, that's impossible. He goes, okay, I'm going to kill you all. Daniel got the news that they're all going to die. And Daniel goes, hey, um, in fact, here, the guards come to Daniel. And Daniel goes, what the heck is happening? And they go, well, the king's pretty mad. <laughs> He's, he, had a, he had a nightmare, okay? And if his wise men can't answer him, they're just going to die. Daniel goes, whoa, hold on. He replied with prudence. And uh, he said, why is the king's decree so urgent? And Daniel said, I'll tell you what. Um, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Meaning, Daniel has the gall to, to walk right up to King Nebi and go, Hey, can you give me some time to figure out what your dream is and what it means? And King Nebi goes, Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Daniel doesn't go, hey, you big oaf. I know what your dream is and I know what it means because I just decided to make it so. Daniel's at the mercy of God. He, he doesn't know. So he goes, he gets Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He goes, boys, uh, we need to seek mercy from God about this mystery so that, you know, we can actually not be destroyed. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel. Whoa. In a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed God. He worships God. He goes, you're the man. The king declared to Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream? And Daniel goes, no. No one can do that. But there is a God who reveals mysteries and has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. In other words, Daniel goes, I, I don't just decide to know what your dream means. I have to ask. And if God wants, he'll show it to me. And so he goes in, him and his boys pray, seek for mercy, and God answers. Was God, did God have to do that? Answer is no. The answer is no. Here's another interesting verse that shows us, no, prophets don't have it on tap. They don't just decide to prophesy. Um unfortunately. Second uh, Kings chapter 3, because this is what happens, is some people will take this very weird view where it's like, if God still speaks today, um, or if you're going to hear from God today, then you can just decide when God's going to speak to you, right? And I go, when has that ever been the case? Second Kings, Elisha, one of the greatest prophets, he summoned bears. When's the last time you summoned bears to a backyard barbecue because you got mad. Elisha's that guy. So Elisha, he said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. In other words, um, Jehoshaphat is with the king of Israel. King of Israel is a wicked guy. I believe it is um, Ahab died, King of Moab rebelled, King Jehoram, 
So I think it's King Jehoram. Either way, Elisha doesn't like this wicked king of Israel. But he's with Jehoshaphat, and he's kind of fond of Jehoshaphat. So watch what, because they're asking for advice on what to do with the kings of Moab. And and Elisha's a prophet. He hears from God, right? So he should just be like, well, God said. No, he doesn't do that. Verse 15, he goes, bring me a musician. Have you ever read this before? Some of y'all have never read this. Some of y'all have never read this passage. That's right. Elisha goes, I'm a prophet, and you're asking me to figure out what God wants. You got a guitar player? Actually, Johnny's right here. Johnny's like... So they bring a musician, and when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he says, thus says the Lord, and he'll prophesy. What's fascinating is this is not normative. This is not um, a formula. This is this is just for some reason in this scenario, Elisha knows in order for me to know what God is saying and to almost um, not prophetically tap into God. That's too new agey. But to but to go, Lord, to really get the word of the Lord uh, for this situation, he goes, we need music. We need music. Why? The text never says. I've done a, a message on what I believe is to be a, a, a link between worship and praise and the gift of prophecy and prophetically uh, declaring the word of the Lord. I thought that was a fun study. Maybe I'll link that in the description below after this. Uh, but the point here is that no, Elisha didn't have it on tap. There were some conditions that needed to be met there. And here's the last one. Second Kings 4.27, and I'll explain why I went here. 2 Kings 4.27, we have a mama that just lost her baby. And uh, the Shunammite woman, she's running to find Elisha. Well, she's on a horse. The horse is running. She's not running with the horse. And uh, that'd be a pointless situation. And she said, uh, (coughs) well, she came to the mountain to where Elisha was. Or Elijah. No, it's Elisha. Sorry. And she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, goes, get off him. But the man of God said, no, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. Now watch this. The Lord has hidden this from me. He hasn't told me. If Elisha has prophecy on tap, if you can control when God speaks, this wouldn't be true. Elisha would be declared a false prophet. Well, if you were a true prophet of God, you could just decide when he was speaking, you phony. It's not what happens. He goes, the Lord has, in this scenario, he's decided not to tell me. And there's a reason. We'll find out later. And it works out great. But I I want you to see this, that if some people claim this, this this is one of the misconceptions. Hey, brother, uh, if God still speaks today, even with a new, a new Testament, even with the finished canon of Scripture, that means prophecy and, and prophets are still active. And if that's the case, you need to know that if someone's truly a prophet or if someone's truly hearing from God, um, they'll be able to do that on, on, on command. And I go, you've never read your Bible respectfully. Um, I think Second Peter in and of itself is a closed case where it's like, There's no more reason to even ask that. But let me recap what we've tackled today when it comes to hearing God's voice. 
Number one, when God speaks, there will not always be a hundred percent assurance that it's God. You won't definitively know in the moment that it's God speaking. Sometimes that's clear later. Sometimes that's clear a little later, a lot later. Sometimes it's clear at the moment. You're like, God's speaking. Okay. When God speaks, you won't always know the meaning or the purpose for the message he's brought you. You won't always understand the full scope of what he's saying. You won't always understand the right course of action. There might need to be some seeking, some fasting, some praying involved. Um, when God speaks, that doesn't guarantee that uh, you, you won't make the wrong conclusion. Meaning, when God speaks, he allows for human fallibility and human error um, to possibly play a role in where that word goes and what happens with it because he's sovereign over it. And um, we'll talk of this next week. I do believe God leads us by his spirit at times, not always, not primarily, but at times through our own suspicions and feelings and emotions and desires and thoughts. Not always, okay? It's not how you should live your life. And then if God is going to speak, or if you have the gift of prophecy and you are a prophet or a prophetess, that doesn't mean you have that gift or that ability on command, that would be odd. That would to put that would be to put God at your mercy, which I think you and I agree is very wrong. So the only reason I went there today is because if we can clear the air a bit and get those misconceptions out of the way, you'll be more <clears throat> I guess right. You'll be more correct in your approach to hearing God and listening. So, um, it is a lot that could be said um, about how, I mean, there's a, I don't know, there's a bunch of places I could have taken this, but I hope that next week when we get to the actual, well, how do I discern the voice of God? How do I know what's him speaking? How do I recognize? When we get to that, all of this is foundational. All of this is foundational and necessary to answering those questions, so. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I need your help. Would you rate this podcast and give it an honest review to let others know what they can expect from this podcast? It would really help us in reaching more people with the truth of God's word. And be sure to check out AboveReproachMinistry.com for all of our free resources like trainings, Bible courses, worksheets, our online church, and much more. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and leaving a good review for others.